scripture this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This is the second epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. In the first epistle, Paul warns them of a person that is living in flagrant sin in the church that they must be excommunicated. Hand them over to Satan that his soul may be saved. And that act of discipline was used by God to bring that man to repentance. And so in this chapter, he's urging the church to receive that man back into the church. Chapter 2. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? And I wrote the same unto you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I gave, forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, 
in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Let us open our catechism also, once again, to Lord's Day 31, which we began last week. I just want to look at question and answer 84. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and shut by the preaching of the Holy Gospel? Answer thus. When according to the command of Christ, it is declared and publicly testified to all and every believer that whenever they receive the promise of the gospel by a true faith, all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merits. And on the contrary, when it is declared and testified to all unbelievers and such as do not sincerely repent that they stand exposed to the wrath of God and eternal condemnation so long as they are unconverted, according which testimony of the gospel God will judge them, both in this and in the life to come. Loved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we looked last week at the keys of the kingdom, the keys that Christ Jesus holds, for it is Christ Jesus who opens the kingdom, but also closes that kingdom to keep heretics and the ungodly from amongst God's sheep and lambs. And I'm going to have a second sermon on this Lord's Day for this reason. Here in this Lord's Day, we have the best definition of the preaching of the gospel. What is that gospel that is proclaimed? How does it have key power to open up the kingdom, but also to shut the kingdom? How does it have the power not only to bind forbid from coming into the kingdom, but also to loose, to admit, and bring into the kingdom. And I wanted to deal with this subject of preaching because today preaching is in the decline in many churches. There are many churches that are saying, look, instead of having a long monologue by the pastor, let's let all the saints have a word from the Lord as if there are new revelations coming down out of heaven that are not in God's word that we have in front of us. How we need the preaching of the word, it is the power to open and to close the kingdom of heaven. Notice with me then, preaching. The message of the preaching. Second of all, the particular objects of the preaching. Who is it addressed to? And then thirdly, the eternal validity of preaching as a key of the kingdom. What is the message of the preaching? It is the preaching 
of the message of the gospel. The word gospel, which means good news. Many names are given to that preaching. It's called Christ gospel. It is the gospel of God. And the Apostle Paul, when he is writing here, he talks about his gospel. The word that he brings in the preaching. It is, beloved, the gospel of salvation in Christ Jesus alone. And it's called the gospel of peace. Not enmity between God and his people, but sins have been removed. There is now peace with God and with one another. And as this year comes to an end, we thank God. We thank God for the unity and the peace that he has brought into our congregation this past year. Preaching. Good news. Good news to those who sit in darkness. That is the darkness of their sin and their shame. There's the good news that God saves. No matter the ills or the problems or the troubles in our lives, there's a lively hope set before us for we are like the Israelites of old going through the wilderness they were taken out of the land of Egypt but then because of their sin their rebellion 40 years they had to wander and wander through the wilderness and then finally they entered into that rest and you and I and our lives also are called to wander in our pilgrimage here on earth Looking forward to the hope that's ours when there will be no more sickness or pain or sorrow or trouble. When there will be no more temptation, there will be no more sin. What a glorious, glorious gospel of hope for us. It's the good news of the unspeakably great riches of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. An inheritance that is promised to all those who believe. We are to preach the particular content of the gospel. What is that content? The content of the gospel is the promise or the promises in Christ Jesus. Now why do I use that, those two words, the promise, like as it's one, but also then the plural, the promises. And the answer is because in reality there is one promise, isn't it? It is the promise of life in Christ Jesus. But even as that promise came for 4,000 years before it was finally fulfilled in Christ's birth and suffering and death, there are many different aspects to that one promise. There is the promise, first of all, that Christ is raised up as the son of David who will sit on his throne forever and ever. There is the promise that comes from Jesus that he will not leave us by ourselves in this world, but he will give his spirit to dwell within us and to lead us and guard us and preserve us. There is the promise of life 
eternal life, not just someday when we die, but we have eternal life now already in Christ Jesus, a life that can never be extinguished. We have the promise of the forgiveness of our sins. And as I mentioned in the prayer, we come to the end of a year and as we evaluate, how many missed opportunities did we not grasp the opportunity of the zeal for God's kingdom, of serving him and worshiping him? How many times have we blatantly, rebelliously walked in disobedience to God and rebellion to God? How wonderful then is the promise that believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness of all of our sins. Or what about the promise that Jesus' own righteousness, his obedience, is now given to us as our own so that we stand before God without spot or blame? How wonderful to know that we enter into his rest by faith. And one day we're going to enter into that rest perfectly and finally how wonderful is the promise of God's word that those who are humble they will be made heirs of the whole earth we we by God's grace are children of that promise with all the various aspects of it the promise as we read in Acts 2 verse 39 the promise which is unto you and to your children and to many that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Good news. Because of the unspeakable great riches of what we have in Christ Jesus. Preaching it is got a particular content. Christ Jesus. And of that promise in the Old Testament, the saints, when they would hear the word of the prophets, they saw that and they inquired into it, but they didn't know the full scope like you and I do. They knew that there would be the seed of the woman. They knew that it would be the seed of Abraham, and in Galatians chapter 3, that is singular seed, Christ Jesus. There is the seed of David that's going to sit on the throne forever and ever. In the Old Testament, they saw, they heard those promises, and they embraced them by faith, but they didn't, weren't able to see it, to understand it like you and I do in the New Testament. They knew there was one coming. We know he has come, and he's coming again. How wonderful to know that you and I are the seed of Abraham, the children of Abraham, by faith in Christ Jesus. And therefore we, we are heirs of that promise. We are recipients of that promise. Yes, in short, the promise that we preach is Christ and all the riches of salvation in Christ. Jesus Christ raised from the dead seated in heaven, coming again, and you and I in Christ Jesus also made alive sons and daughters of God, God's children. 
beloved, concerning that promise that we preach, notice with me, first of all, it is unconditional. It doesn't depend upon you or me. It depends all on God who is faithful. And as God is faithful, so also his promise is faithful. It will be carried out. So the promise is unconditional. The promise is faithful and true, just as our God is unchangeable. That is, when he makes a promise to those to whom the promise comes, it will be realized. Those who believe in Jesus Christ shall live, are saved, are forgiven all of their sins. That, beloved, is good news. Yes, we preach the promise of the gospel. And now when we speak of the key power of that preaching, we're not speaking just so much about the promise itself. The promise is faithful. But the preaching of that gospel, that is, God has his church take his word, take that promise and explain that promise and then apply it. How does that make a difference for you and me in our lives? How does it hold before us a great light, a hope, a comfort, and an assurance? Did you read and hear, remember those words? What is the preaching? How does it open and how does it close? When according to the command of Christ, it is declared and publicly testify to all and every believer that whenever they receive the promise of the gospel by a true faith, all their sins are really forgiven them of God. Why? For Christ's sake, because of his merits. Commanded by God himself, preach the word. Preach the word in season and out of season. Hold before God's people, hold before the believer the promise of salvation in Christ Jesus and of everlasting life. A promise, a beautiful promise. And because the church is called to that work, that is her work. Our work is not to somehow bring about God's kingdom here on earth for Christ. Our calling is not to satisfy all the needs of the poor in the world. Our call is to preach the word in season and out of season because through the preaching of the word it is Christ himself who exercises this power. Through the preaching Christ gathers and builds his church. Through the preaching Christ opens up the kingdom to those who believe. What a beautiful promise. He opens it. God gives us an open door, and I'll get to that in a second. But by that preaching, not only is the kingdom open, but by that preaching, the kingdom is also closed. You see, the preaching is promiscuous. We preach wherever God has opened up a door. We bring that word to all those who hear it with their ears. 
To believers it is to their salvation. But to those who do not believe, to those who do not believe, what a warning. What a warning when one turns away from Christ. What a warning when God sets Christ before us and God really is asking the preaching, what do you think of my Christ? Those who are disappointed in that Christ, those who don't want that Christ, they are hardened in their sins to their own loss. They become guilty of refusing the word of God and are condemned. No life. We read in the catechism here not only that according to the command of Christ it is declared and publicly testified to all and every believer that whenever they receive the promise of the gospel by a true faith all their sins are really forgiven them. But now notice. On the contrary when it is declared and testified to unbelievers and such as do not sincerely repent that they stand exposed to the wrath of God and eternal condemnation. And they stand opposed then and to condemnation so long as they are unconverted. Oh, may God turn our hearts, continually turn our hearts, May he continue to turn the hearts of many, many still in heathendom, or perhaps those who hypocritically are worship. May he humble us on our knees that we cry out with that publican there when he's praying, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. God judges. God judges all in this life and in the life to come. Many don't like that aspect of the preaching. They want everyone to feel good when the preaching comes, but all do not feel well. Think of when the greatest preacher on earth was ever there, Christ Jesus. There was always a mixed reaction, wasn't it? Yes, there was a small remnant who believed and followed him, loved him. But there were many, many when they heard the preaching of Christ, they turned away. They called him a blasphemer. They called him a son of the devil. They turned away from him in condemnation for their sins of disobedience, of rebellion. The message of the preaching. There is life, everlasting life in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners like you and me. But let's look a little closer a moment at the particular objects of that preaching. That's the second point. The particular objects of that preaching. You see, as I said before, the preaching is to be promiscuous. We find that word in our confessions. Now, usually that word can have a bad connotation. If a person is promiscuous, it means 
that sexually they are exploiting others. But in the context of our confessions, the preaching is promiscuous. It means we bring that word of God wherever we are able to bring it. The Apostle Paul, in our passage, speaks about a door, doesn't he? We read in verse 12, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. What that teaches us is that the Lord Jesus is the one who directs the preaching of the word. We have that, it's found true in the scripture, of the Apostle Paul's preaching. Where is he going to go as a missionary? Well, God told his people. First, you preach it here in Jerusalem and in Judah and in Samaria and unto the ends of the world. But that's the order. And so as Apostle Paul went out as a missionary, he would seek God's direction. And we read at times he wanted to go to this place or he wanted to go to that place. And the Lord says, no. No, no. Well, where, am, where is he supposed to go? Oh, there was the call from Macedonia. Jesus was saying, I'm opening up a door for you there, Paul. Bring the word of God. We read of that open door in the last book of the Bible, too. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, where Christ is addressing the angel that is the minister in the church of Philadelphia. And what does Jesus say to that preacher in Philadelphia. He says, I have set before thee an open door and no man can close it. Or we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me and there are many adversaries. The Lord, the Apostle Paul is acknowledging there, he is sending me. He's not coming in his own authority, but he's coming with the authority of Christ. Christ opening up a door and says to, Peter, uh, to Paul then, preach the gospel here. There was in Acts chapter 16 that vision from Macedonia wasn't there. And the Lord called us to preach the gospel unto them. Or the, how often doesn't the apostle write to those in the churches, and he say, and, and it's in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, he says, pray for me, pray that their utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth to make known the mystery of the gospel. Again, Colossians 4, verse 3, pray for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. And what is that mystery of Christ? It was the mystery that before the kingdom was mainly to the Jews. They were God's people. That was the theocracy. But the mystery of the gospel is now with a Jewish rebellion and disobedience. The gospel is opened up to the Gentiles also. So that Jew and Gentile are now God's people. All those that believe. Christ. Christ has opened up a door for me to preach here in Cornerstone. 
It is Christ who opens up a door in each one of the churches where his true servants bring his word. It is Christ Jesus who directs us as a church in our mission work, opening up doors for us in various nations where there may be the gospel being preached. We scatter that word promiscuously, don't we? Not knowing who the elect are. Boys and girls, do you remember that story of the different soils where the farmer goes out to scatter the seed? And that scattering of the seed in nature is a picture of the preacher scattering God's word, bringing that word with all of its authority and power. And that seed falls on different kinds of soils, doesn't it? It is the fertile soil where it springs up and grows in the hearts and the lives of God's children. But some of that seed falls upon the hard ground. And when it falls upon the hard ground, they hear with their ear during the worship service, but Satan plucks up that seed just as soon as they go in the narthex. And they're talking about their vacation, and they're talking about what they're going to do next week, what they did last week. And you'd ask of an hour after, what was the sermon about? Uh, i got to think a minute here. Or that seed falls upon that ground, which is very thin, on rock underneath it. And the sun, that is, afflictions come, trials come, persecution comes. And how soon those people turn away from the word that they have heard. Or there is the soil that is choked full of weed seed. And the weeds grow up in their life, the many pleasures of this world And instead of heeding the word that they have heard, it's choked out. Choked out with the pleasures and the sin of this world. The farmer scatters the seed. It falls upon all these different soils. So the preacher doesn't try to aim his message at a particular person, but rather he brings the glory of the gospel in all of its power and authority to those who are gathered by Christ. And they hear it with different ears at times. By faith. By faith, we believe that gospel. And God gets all the glory. For it is God who has, by his spirit, prepared the soil of our hearts, hasn't it? Our hearts left by themselves would be hard like the path. Or our souls left by, without God's work would be choked out with the sins of this world and the pleasures of this world or by the thinness. But God be praised. By his spirit, he prepares the hearts of each of his children. He brings his word to them. And that word sinks deeply in the heart. And it grows and it produces fruit in one's life. We bring the gospel to those who believe. But it also comes to the unconverted. And they are left without excuse. Think a moment of those Pharisees and the scribes in Jesus' day. They had the preaching of the word, marvelous preaching of the word, by Christ himself. They could understand what Jesus was saying, that he was saying things against them. And instead of repenting, 
because God didn't give them grace to believe, they hardened themselves. Hardened themselves so much that they hated Christ. And they put him to death. Always the word speaks powerfully. And always the preacher has to say, thus saith the Lord. The preacher may not come with his own ideas or fancies, what he would like to bring, but rather he has to take the text of God's word. What does God's word say here? And you and I, like the Berean believers, we need to search the scripture. That is, yes, follow along in your Bibles or follow along in your notes. Listen carefully. Is this indeed what the passage is saying? Is it explained? And then is it applied for us? So while the preaching of the gospel is promiscuously, wherever God opens up a door, notice with me, the content of the gospel, namely the promise, is not promiscuous. But the promise is particular. What does that mean? It means that the promise comes to God's elect people. That is, to those who believe. Let me read those words again from the Catechism. When according to the command of Christ, it is declared and publicly testified to all and every believer that whenever they receive the promise of the gospel by a true faith, all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merit. There was a controversy, wasn't there? There was a controversy early on in our life as a denomination. In the 1950s, those in our church who were preaching that the promise comes to every baptized person that is included in the sphere of the covenant. The promise is to every one of you. Now it's up to you whether you're going to believe it or not believe it. It was a variation of the, our mother's church's wrong teaching of the well-meant offer of the gospel. And in the well-meant offer of the gospel, there the church taught at that time, and still today it teaches it, that God, in his love for every person in the world, wants to save everyone and therefore offers the gospel to every person head for head. And whether or not that promise is carried through, it depends upon you whether you accept the offer of the gospel. You say, what's wrong with that? What's wrong is then our salvation rests upon what you or I do. Am I willing to open my heart? Am I willing to take that offer of the gospel and believe it? No, beloved. There is no well-meant offer of the gospel. The promise that comes in that promise is to those who believe. It comes to the elect those whom God has given to Christ in eternity already. 
and now in time are brought underneath that gospel. They hear that gospel and they believe it. They embrace it. And they embrace the Christ who is set forth before them. Is that true of you? Is that true of me? When Christ is set forth in the word, do you embrace that word? Do you embrace Christ Jesus? Do you say, yes, he's my Savior. He's my Lord. I believe him. I believe him by the faith that God has worked in my heart. And my sins are forgiven. I have the hope of everlasting life. I am a child of God by grace through faith. The gospel declares and testifies to all who believe with a true faith. They are saved. You see, that promise is governed by God's covenant. That promise is governed by the doctrine of election. Why do some believe when many do not believe? Why? Oh, it's not because you and I are better or have better ears or are more willing than anyone else. It's all due to God's grace. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He gave us to Jesus Christ. And now Christ Jesus, by his spirit, works new life in this heart. Gives us that faith to embrace Christ Jesus, to love him and to live for him. It is the promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus. But, just as that promise comes then to believers, to the elect believers and their elect children, the warning comes also, doesn't it? You see, the preacher may not just preach promises, he has also have a warning. For the gospel is a two-edged sword. To the believing of some, but also the unbelieving and the unrepentant others. And what is declared in the preaching of the gospel is, if you do not embrace Christ Jesus, if you do not believe that he is the Son of God come in our nature to suffer and die for our sins, then you are left in your sins and you will pay the consequences for your sins, namely eternal condemnation. God wants those who are unrepentant to know, to be without excuse. As they saw with their eyes God's power and glory in creation, and as they hear with their ears the gospel preached, they are without excuse. But God uses those warnings also in his church, doesn't he? He, turn, he uses those warnings for those who maybe are worshiping just out of tradition. Because it's the thing to do. Or God uses those warnings for some of the sheep in the flock who are misbehaving. Who are listening to some false doctrine that is being brought and embracing it. Or those who are not living in a way that is convenient, that is good, that is proclaimed by God to be the behavior of citizens of his kingdom. 
God uses those warnings to prick their hearts, to stop them in their sin, and to turn them around. Yes, the powerful power and authority of preaching because it's Christ's words. He is the logos, the word of God that was with God and was God, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. To all those who live unbelieving lives, to all those who reject the gospel or don't want to hear the gospel, to all those who do not sincerely repent of all their sins, they stand exposed to God's wrath. The kingdom is shut. The kingdom is shut to those who remain unconverted or unrepentant. Oh, may God work soft soil in our hearts so that when we hear the call of the gospel, not an offer, but a command, a command to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, soft soil that we bend our knees, we are made humble. We say, I'm that sinner. I need that Christ who is proclaimed in the gospel. The Apostle Paul says something else about that preaching of the gospel, doesn't he? He says, now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place, Verse 15, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death and to the other the savor of life unto life. What does that mean? The savor of the gospel. A savor unto God. For, verse 15, we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Paul is talking about himself and his fellow missionaries as they bring the gospel. And notice, they don't corrupt the gospel as others do, earlier he says. But as they bring the pure gospel of God, a savor unto God. Boys and girls, perhaps this morning when you woke up, Maybe in the kitchen you could smell some cinnamon rolls being baked for you. Ah, oh, what a good smell. Or maybe when you get home, there's a roast beef that is going on the oven, and you come in the house, you say, oh, that smells good. When Jesus Christ is set forth in the gospel, it is always a sweet smell to God. It's his own son. And as Christ is set forth in the gospel, God is saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son who is that obedient suffering servant who took away the sins of my people. He's being set forth in the gospel that always is a sweet smell to God in heaven. But notice, it is sweet smell to God regardless of, of what takes place. 
for it will always accomplish God's purpose. For it is a sharp sword, a two-edged sword. It's a sword that separates, doesn't it? It separates those who believe it and embrace Christ Jesus from those who reject it, who rebel. That took place all of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And that takes place forever afterwards in the preaching of the gospel. Some believe. Many do not believe. But Christ is set forth in all of his power and glory, always a sweet smell to God. It is a sweet smell to God, a savor of death unto death. Christ Jesus is set forth, and those who are dead in their sins and their rebellion, they turn away from that word. They're hardened in their sins, but Christ is still set forth beautifully. It's a sweet smell of God, to God, of death unto death but a sweet smell of God also as a savor of life to life. To those in whom the Holy Spirit has given new hearts. That word that goes forth being preached outwardly finds an entrance into the heart by the Holy Spirit. Oh, Christ Jesus set forth to them they live in Christ Jesus. They embrace Christ Jesus. What a sweet smell the preaching of Christ is to those who believe. Christ, a rock that we can stand on, but for others, Christ is a stumbling stone which many stumble at to their own perishing in sin. Always the preaching is a sweet smell to God, is it to you? Do you look forward to Sundays to have the word opened up, to have Christ set before your eyes? And you say, what a sight to see by faith. What a beautiful smell of Christ Jesus, his power and his love and his mercy and his kindness and his goodness. I can't get enough of it. Just as you smell that roast that's perhaps on when you come home, you can't wait to eat it. So also as Christ is set forth in the gospel, not only do you want to smell that Christ that's set forth, but you want to partake of him. You hunger and you thirst for him by God's grace. That brings me to my third point, the eternal validity of preaching as a key power. The eternal validity of the preaching as a key power. For remember who holds these keys. It is first of all the son of David. It is Christ Jesus himself. And what Christ Jesus does with that preaching that he has called the church to do. It's Christ by his spirit that enables you and I to believe that gospel. So we read here in Matthew 16, we read in Matthew 18, and in this Lord's Day, the church, what the church binds on earth is bound in heaven. 
And what the church looses on earth is loosed in heaven. What does that mean? That word to bind in Matthew 16 and 18 is a rabbinical term. That is a term used by the Hebrews meaning to forbid. There are those things that God forbids of those who can enter into the kingdom. The list of those things are in different passages of scripture. Not only are forbid persons, but also their conduct. The adulterer, the homosexual, the thief, those who persist in their sins are bound, that is, they are forbidden to be members of the church of Jesus Christ, forbidden to be citizens of the kingdom, and their behavior is forbidden in the kingdom and in the church of Jesus Christ. Does anyone hear on the preaching, you are excluded? You are excluded from the kingdom as long as you continue to persist in your sin and your unbelief. There's no room in the kingdom. What does it mean that what you have loosed on earth will be loosed, or what you will bind on earth will be bound in heaven? Notice, don't get it wrong, it's not that men or preachers or elders somehow keep people out of the kingdom and therefore God later on will, but rather because God in his eternal plan has already shut them out of the kingdom and the way of their sins, therefore the church acts on what God has set in heaven. There is that eternal validity. To be bound means you are forbid membership in Christ's church and in heaven. But on earth also, there is the loosing. And to loose is a term which means to be loose from the judgment of God, <laughs> set free from the curse of sin, therefore allowed and permitted in heaven. <coughs> Pardon me. Why would the church preach that there are those who are bound, that is forbid, from the kingdom? And the answer is in love. In love for those individuals, in love for their souls. They don't want, the pastor doesn't want, the elders don't want, they don't want them to continue in their sin. But by the preaching and the warnings of God's word, may they be converted May they be turned around from their walk in sin to embrace Christ Jesus. Yes, in love for souls and in love for those who hear the word that they may repent of their sins and believe. And those who believe are loosed. They, are, they lose the judgment of God. Because Christ has taken it for us. They are set free from the wrath of the law. They hear the gospel. They know they are saved, not by their own works, but they're saved by God's grace through true faith worked in their hearts. Oh, beloved, 
do you hear by faith in the preaching? Do you hear your sins are forgiven? What a thing. Tonight we're going to look at that passage about numbering our days. As we look in the past year, the sin that we have committed, how wonderful to hear the gospel of the powerful Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins so that our sins are taken away from us, we're loosed from them, and we have eternal life. Citizens of God's kingdom, members of his church, valid today and eternity. What assurance, what blessing is that God gives his people, that God gives you and me today in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That effectual, unconditional promise to every saint, your sins are forgiven, you have eternal life. So let me end my sermon with what I began with. How do you hear the preaching of the word? What is your attitude what kind of ears do you have? How do you listen to it? There is the dangerous art of hearing in order to judge or to condemn or to maybe agree with or to apply without repentance. How terrible that would be. How do you hear? <clears throat> what kind of ear do you have? There is the ear of an art critic. The ear of the art, art critic says, yes, the form of the sermon was good. I could follow it through. Yeah, that was a good sermon, Domine. Art critic, just looking at the form. There is also the ear of the spy. The ear of the spy that they listen to worship services in attendance, maybe by sermon audio later on, the ear of the spy who wants to hear only for what's wrong, to find out faults, to point out this or that fault, because the man that preaches is a human instrument, isn't he? Do you have that ear of an art critic? Good sermon, but without repentance. Or do you hear the sermon with the ear of the spy? This is bad, this is bad, this is bad. Or by God's grace, do you hear the gospel with the ear of Lydia? The ear of Lydia whose heart the Lord opened and she heeded the word that was spoken. By God's grace, may he give you and I that ear. To hear Christ set forth, to fall in love with him over and over again, to hear him and then be doers of the word that is spoken. Amen. Father in heaven, 52 Lord's Days, extra worship services in this past year. Be set forth. Give us, O oh Lord, ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to his church to love the gospel and loving the gospel to want to dig further into that gospel in our own devotions 
And Father, we'll give thee all the glory. For it is thy spirit alone who works this new life, this embracing, this believing, this heeding the word proclaimed. Amen.